so much that you have provided us with. Hear from Josh. God, we pray that you would strengthen his heart as he um, expounds on your word to us, and we thank you for him and for his family. In Yeshua's name, amen. 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 Okay, so am I on for the small microphone? Okay, there we go. Well, thank you so much, uh, Melissa. It's a joy to uh, be here and worship uh, with you. And I have known uh, many of you for, for, for many years. Um, uh, it's Josh. Uh, is There's another Josh, and you had a previous Josh. Um, it has been uh, a great joy for me um, over these last years. For the Up until earlier this year, I was leading our work um, with Jews for Jesus in, here in Southern California. It was a great joy for me to, um, to, to give Joshua uh, an office over um, the years for Avetzion. And Sean still is in that office, and he just got a new chair on Friday, which I know he's very happy about. And so, um, good job. Um, so, uh, so it's really been a, a joy for me. I've gotten to know Stuart a little bit over the years. I walk with him um, and try once a month. We don't always get there, but, but we like spending those times. And uh, uh, it's, he's, uh, of all the people in the world to walk with, he's one of the, one of the top. So it's really a joy for me to be here. Um, I am um, honored and thrilled to be able to come and share and just share some thoughts with you about this portion um, and about some of what we can, can do with this. So with that, let me begin. Initiating conversations with people is difficult. Uh, it may be a tough work encounter um, it may be a family member, or it may be the dreaded asking a girl out on a date, which strikes fear into the hearts of all men, more than women can ever imagine. <laughs> uh, so what if, the, what if the conversation and what if the, the, the ask, the request, doesn't go well. What if you get rejected, right? Um, there uh, are all kinds of things that could potentially happen that strike fear into us. But in today's text, we have a story of God making the initiative, taking the initiative and beginning a conversation with Jacob. Now, we are not God, obviously, and he does this differently. Um, however, there's part of what's going on in this passage that I think that idea of taking the initiative is important. So we read the passage earlier, and it's going to be up there in, in just a minute, although you have it in your, um, in your Tanakh here. Um, and just to remember the background of this Torah portion um, picks up on the last interaction that Jacob and Esau and their father had, which didn't go so well. If you remember, there was a story about a bowl of soup and a birthright. Uh, it, was, uh, it didn't go well. Um, and for Esau, in particular, the relationship between his father and him really went south right after that. And that was a little parenthetical statement that happened at the end of, um, or the beginning of uh, chapter uh, 28, 
Um, and here this passage picks up after that. And so I'm going to find my way here to the passage. And I don't know if you got that up there. Okay, so you go to the next slide. There's just some things. This is, the, I didn't realize that you read. I'm, so if you don't know this, I'm the outsider here. <laughs> so I don't always know exactly how a group goes through and does the things that they do. I didn't you, uh, know that you were going to read um, through the end of that passage, but that's fine. So uh, most of what I prepared and thought about was the beginning of this uh, short portion up until the, um, up until the end of um, verse um, verse 17. And so um, m most of this is, is what I'm going to talk about from, from this passage and hopefully share a few things that are um, helpful. So first of all, let's just see if we can notice a few things from the text. So you can go to the next one. Okay, so, um, uh, okay, so I've just highlighted a few things. So the first thing you notice from this text is Jacob was asleep. What a relief it is to know that a good night's sleep can sometimes be an encounter with the God of the universe. You should never feel guilty about taking a nap. It's never a bad idea, right? And if somebody gives you a hard time for wanting to take a nap or go to bed early, you could say, hey, listen, God appeared to Jacob when he was sleeping. Maybe he'll appear to me when I'm sleeping. So give me a break. I'm tired. And that's what happened. So Jacob's tired. It's the end of the day. The sun sets, it says. And he took a rock, right? Um, maybe not the most comfortable pillow in the world. Um, it reminds me of people who said my mattress. It's hard as a rock. Okay, thank you. All right. So, so he actually took a rock and put it under his head, and that was his pillow. So Jacob's sleeping. The second thing that we notice here is the next one uh, is that the that the Lord was standing beside him. So he's asleep and he has this dream, and God appears. God is there, and as we see later, Jacob uh, does not associate this with some sort of just kind of cosmic encounter with something. This is God who is present. There is a physicality to this. God shows up. Jacob was not expecting this. And that is often um, uh, part of uh, our encounter with God, isn't it? That it's not quite the way we imagine. Initiating conversations with people, as you might know, also doesn't always go quite how you imagine. Sometimes it goes better. Sometimes it goes worse. It doesn't. It usually goes better than worse because it's easier for us to imagine the worst possible scenarios that we've already played out. And hopefully, if you do that, like I do that, hopefully it turns out better in the conversations. But God shows up. The next, uh, the next section that we see is what God says in this. That God says, "I am Hashem." Where is it here? Okay. Uh, it says, I am Hashem, God of Abraham, your father, Isaac, 
The ground which you are standing, I will give to your descendants. Your offspring will be dust of the earth. You will spread out east, west, north, south, everywhere. Just like dust gets everywhere in your house, outside, all of these things, that your descendants will be everywhere, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So this is, it should sound familiar, if you're familiar, if you know some of the Bible. This was very much the same uh, uh, information that God had promised Abraham, his grandfather, uh, those many years earlier in chapters in the Bible. So in, in Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 15, you see a very similar promise that includes land, that includes posterity, descendants, right, all of the dust of the earth, and it includes a blessing of the nations that go beyond the ethnic barriers of Israel. Um, so I'm just walking through the text at this point. Um, and, and so notice, interestingly, in this passage, some of you, if you can read the Hebrew, it's helpful, actually, that you see um, Jacob's description of the event. It says uh, in verse 11, for example, he encountered the place and spent the night there because the sun had set. So in Hebrew, the word place is makom. And so you see that Jacob is in a place. He's in a makom. Jacob wakes up and he says, this place, this makom is uh, holy. I'm going to set up an altar or a pillar there. Um, however, when God is speaking, he never uses the word place. He uses the word aretz. He uses the word that is land. So here, God says, I am Hashem, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The ground, the arets you are, uh, you are uh, standing upon, uh, I will give to you and your descendants. Your offspring will be dust of the earth, the arets. Okay? So God is making a statement in this passage about the importance of the land. Significant to this is that the, the writer uh, of, of Genesis, and this is a particular blessing that uh, you got to read, that you don't always read the words of God. You, a lot of times in the Bible you read the things that are people are saying about God. So it's a blessing to be able to read the word of God. I was thinking, why is the Ashkenazi, you know, the Ashkenazi Haftorah portion is much, much longer? Why is one shorter and longer? I don't know, but but I do know that Every boy or every girl that's doing their bar or bat mitzvah wishes they were Sephardic this weekend because the Sephardic version is about a third the length. So there you go. Who knows? Okay. So God in this passage is emphasizing the land, and we should see that. That's not an accident in the text. Um, and then finally, Jacob notices that this is God who is present that God is there, and he is in, that Jacob was in the very presence of God. We've had dreams where we said, wow, it was so real. It was like this person was just next to me. And though that experience is true in a dream, Jacob had a different experience where he said, actually, God himself was here. It wasn't just a figment of my imagination. It didn't just feel real. 
It was real. So that's what's going on in this text. And it's a, it's a wonderful passage. It's, um, it's perhaps one of the, the, the real amazing um, passages in Scripture that, uh, particularly for uh, Jewish people, is foundational. Because, again, this is a rehearsal of the covenant of Israel uh, and the covenant that, that Israel has with God. So there are three things that we can take from this passage. I think we can take a, uh, that this passage gives um, a promise, a paradox, and a possibility. Promise. The promise of the covenant that God has made with Abraham is repeated to Jacob. Throughout the text of the, the book of Genesis, what you see is, honestly, everything is hanging on by a thread. Nothing works the way you imagine it to be working, and it could fall apart at any time. Younger children are taking the place of older children. The Jewish people are about to uh, uh, fall apart. Um, old, uh, women beyond their childbearing age are having children. Um, their wives are who knows where they are, few and far between, and people are sent in long journeys to find spouses. Um, Jacob himself goes, um, gets married, um, gets married again, uh, and, and it's this crazy story, right? And, but the promise that God makes to Jacob here that's reiterated from the promise he made to Abraham is so significant. It tells us that the, that the covenant that God made is going through the line of Jacob, not the line of, uh, of his brother. And that the promise of God is going in this direction. And that's something that we should be able to count on. Yeah? The whole point of a covenant is it's a promise that you can count on. Don't we like that? Don't we want that? You know, we want people in our lives that we can count on. And when people fail us, doesn't it tick us off? Come on. It does me. The worst part is I usually am the one that's failing the other people and they're mad at me and have to expl explain to me the things that I did wrong which for me are not so clearly visible all the time. But being able to count on someone and something is so critically important, and that is exactly what is given to us in the words of God, in the words of these covenants, and who he is. God is trustworthy. We can count on him. We can offer our hopes to him, our cares to him. We can turn to him in time of need, in time of joy. We have this, and it is being offered to us. What an absolute gift this is from God. And I am so grateful that we can participate in that gift. Um, he gives freely. He loves freely. And he gives this gift to Jacob 
that as now we get to listen in on. But there's something else in this passage that's important to also realize is that it says in verse 15, I am with you, I will guard you wherever you go, and I will return you to this soil. Jacob is about to make a trip. He's going somewhere. He's going to this town called Haran. And Haran, there is, uh, he's, his mother told him, listen, Jacob, your brother's mad at you. He's really mad at you. He's stronger than you. He's bigger than you, right? Remember, he's the hunter. Jacob's, I don't, Jacob's not the hunter, let's just say. And so, uh, so he's coming after you. It's time for you to get out of here. So he says, go to Haran. So he's on his way. That's when this happens. And he goes to Haran. He leaves this place that he was in, but he does come back, interestingly, and build another pillar and offer another uh, kind of oil being, an oil offering being poured out upon this pillar. The story of Jacob is supposed to be emblematic in this passage of the story of Israel. Israel would be told that they were going to be in Egypt for many years. That journey in Egypt would be like an exile, similar to what Jacob is facing here, an exile from his family, and more importantly, an exile from this land, this place, this Bethel, this house of God. And so as Jacob goes and is promised to come back and does come back. So Israel will go into the land of Egypt, live there, be redeemed by God, brought back eventually to the land of Israel. Again, the same journey that Jacob is going through. And so in Genesis, the writer here is giving us a foretaste of something that is yet to come. Again, this is no accident. God is rehearsing this story for us so that we would know and we would be able to trust him and trust the promises that he has given. One promise. Second is a paradox. So Jacob has this dream of a ladder going to heaven and angels descending, uh, ascending and descending on it. What a story, man. Wow. You can take that and run with that, can't you? Okay, how many stories, books, movies, poems, sermons uh, have been kind of written about this? Now, traditional Judaism sees the latter as the siddur. The ladder is a, a, a symbol of prayer. The structure of the prayer uh, as uh, developed in the Siddur over the years, by finally by Sephardic Jews in Iraq, by the way, uh, the, those prayers were systematized. The Bethel, the house of God, is the synagogue. However, just about every other religious tradition tries to take this ladder for themselves, <laughs> right? Christian traditions have this. 
Jewish traditions have this. Secular traditions have this. This letter, sorry, this ladder must be the thing, the structure that gets me from where I am now to where God is up in heaven, right? And that's that. In some ways, it's, it's understandable to see that. Um, uh, interestingly, uh, the latter is not talked about by God. Isn't that strange? That Jacob has this ladder and God appears to him and doesn't even mention it. He just talks about what Jacob already knew, the the stories that he had heard from his father. And then Jacob, understanding this, when he wakes up, um, it says uh, Jacob awoke from his sleep. Let's see if I can. Uh, so, and Jacob awoke from his sleep. All right, it's always so strange when I'm looking at a different version of the Bible, like it's, a, it's on a different spot on the page. Right, I'm just looking at it here in, in the Hebrew. So it's, the Hebrew is when he wokes, wakes up. It says, It comes from the word like to, to have awe or to be in awe of something. And here in the English, it's translated surely. But really, the word should be something more along the lines of Jacob was shaking in his boots that this was so real and so true. And so Jacob is struck by what just happened. And it says, surely, Hashem is present in this place, and I did not know. And he became frightened and said, how awesome is this place that none of the abode of God, and this is the gate of heaven. He refers to this ladder as the gate of heaven. But Jacob did not know, right? Isn't that our testimony? As followers of the Messiah, is that not our story? God was in this place and I did not know. Perhaps the last place that Jewish believers in Jesus as the Messiah would expect God to show up is in the person of Yeshua, the person of Jesus. Him? You got to be kidding me. But yet he shows himself there. Jacob was in Jacob, the last thing Jacob was expecting when he laid down to bed is that he would meet God. And yet he did. And had the honesty to recognize that he was not looking for God. It's a challenging, uh, a challenging situation to find yourself in when you have encountered God in an unexpected way, especially when you're told or when you're asked to then explain it to others. Because you're left to explain something that you yourself don't fully understand. You don't understand the mechanism of it, yet you know it's true. So uh, one of the people I work with uh, is, is uh, uh, Josh's brother, Sam. We're kind of partners and he uh, sent me a podcast 
um, that is, uh, it's called uh, Israel Story Podcast. They tell stories. Um, if you're a, if you're a NPR listener, it's a little bit like This American Life, but for Israel. So they tell stories of people, and they told the story of two brothers who went to Israel in the 70s who were believers, Messianic Jews, who established a congregation in Rosh Pinah in the north and then moved to uh, Jerusalem, who are still there today, have a small congregation, uh, and uh, are functioning. And so when this uh, Israeli um, secular podcast maker said, well, explain to me how that you know that this is true, he says, well, I knew it. I knew it from the from the depth of my soul. It was as true as I am looking at you. I knew it completely, and at the same time, I uh, didn't understand it. So common that we have those experiences, but yet God is here. God is present, and Jacob could not move away from that. This paradox is perhaps one of the most challenging things also in the secular world, in the world that we live in, when someone says, well, prove it to me. Give me a test, right? Some of you here are engineers. You're an engineer, right? You like things that are testable, okay? Go to sleep, get a rock, lay down, and do it again. That's what we want, isn't it? If it's true, it should happen again. And so you have people who approach a relationship with God like that, like a formula. If I could just do it the same, or if I could just do it the way you do it, then it will work. Unfortunately, that is a fool's errand. There is a paradoxical reality of when God shows up, when God initiates. It does not happen the way we imagine. Hear these words. It's from the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah. Words that are now echoing around the world that we live. In the countryside nearby, there were some shepherds spending the night in the fields, guarding their flocks. When an angel of Adonai appeared to them and the Shekhinah of Adonai shone around them, they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, because I am here announcing to you good news that will bring you great joy to all the people. This very day, in the town of David, There is born for you a deliverer who is the Messiah, the Lord. Here is how you will know. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a feeding trough. And suddenly, along with the angel, there was a vast army from heaven praising God. In the highest heaven, glory to God. And on earth, peace among people of goodwill. Some of you I know dread the onslaught of Christmas. (laughs) It's filled with materialism and the songs and the decorations and all the things that go along. And for sure, there is much to be critical of about the materialism that happens in this country, about 
uh, Christmas and about this holiday season and all of these things, without a doubt, there is much to criticize. Uh, Melissa knows I am an unbelievably critical person. I love criticizing things. But yet, this holiday tells another story. It tells a story of God initiating contact with a world that does not know him. In the story that we are now kind of brought into, whether we like it or not, whether you go to the grocery store or whether you're at Macy's shopping, you experience it. But what is that story? The story is the same as what we experience in this week's Torah portion. God shows up. You might feel like it's more of a nightmare than a dream sometimes. But a lot of that is cultural, honestly. The God of the universe, the God of Jacob, continues to show up today. He continues to show that he is a a, a God of covenant, that he makes promises, keeps promises. He continues to show that he's a paradox. I think many of us would love it to have worked out some different way. <laughs> but it didn't. And the paradox is that Yeshua Jesus is the Messiah of the world and created a way for all people to come to know him, showed up, we have a history that's full of good and bad. Indeed, we might even wish Jacob was a little bit of a different person. As much as we think that we wish the history of those who followed the Messiah would have gone in a bit of a different direction. Yet, the story remains that God initiates his convert his uh, interaction with us in a way that invites us into a relationship with him that we might know him in awe and in wonder. Perhaps uh, Jacob's lesson at Bethel is not so different than ours. Perhaps we can take uh, uh, solace in, in him. Uh, perhaps we can reflect on him as an example of how we are to live. He saw that place as holy, set up an altar there, remembered it during all of those times that when he went to Haran and all of his relationships with Rachel and Leah and children and mother-in-laws and father-in-laws and all of the mishugas, as some say. And yet he remembered that time that God showed up. May we remember when God showed up and revealed himself to us. May we keep that in mind. If you do not have that experience, I hope you do. Probably won't happen when you're sleeping outside using a rock as a pillow, but maybe you could give it a shot, um, maybe not on a rainy day in Santa Monica, but uh, you can give it a shot. But the promise of this story that we read about in the book of the New Testament, the Breed Hadashah, is that we, unlike Jacob, 
do not have a place, but we have a person. And that person is our meeting place with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. May this be our story this week and the weeks ahead. Amen.